Oh good, you're here. Welcome back, friend. This is Adrenaline on Realm. I'm your host, Neil Helligers. So glad to see you back. And can you believe that we are already at our halfway point for Outliers? Crazy how time flies when you have nothing to do but read James Fenimore Cooper, though I suppose part of that time is taken up by words from our sponsor. Hello. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. And I know you're very eager to get to Da's origin story about where the outliers came from and how all this has happened. But before I do, I did just want to mention, did you know that the mascot that we have here at Realm, that R, who you've seen around, has a name? That is Ruby. And just so you know, if you do sign up for our mailing list, you'll get some fun messages from Ruby. Um, uh, you'll get some information about upcoming episodes and things like that. Maybe also some of uh, Ruby's own arcane macabre origins. You'll have to find out only when you sign up, but don't do that right now, because right now you're going to sit here and listen to episode five of Outliers on Adrenaline. Enjoy. Da had lied to me. By omission, anyway. It was true that he'd been a faculty member of an Ivy League college, but only for a few years. He'd been on a forced sabbatical when he was recruited by the government for a top-secret project. For the military. For research that would no less preserve and perpetuate human life on the planet. What do you mean by forced sabbatical? I asked. He'd been going on and on about his importance to the project, and my interruption irritated him. That was obvious. He glared at me. Imperious. Arrogant. Words from the dictionary that I now understand beyond definitions on a page. Like the moon. I'd only seen the side of Da irradiated by the sun. Now I was getting a glimpse of the dark side. For my so-called extremist views. Like what? What does that matter now, boy? I waited him out. He tugged the Navajo blanket up around his shoulders. A slight palsy in his hands. I hadn't really noticed the age spots peppering his knuckles before, or else they seemed darker against the pastiness of his skin. Eugenics. Now shall I continue? A chill tickled the back of my neck. I'd seen the word before in a dictionary, but I didn't remember the definition. Not exactly. It hadn't been good, though. Rather than interrupt the flow by asking more questions, I gestured for him to continue. 
He harumphed and then adopted what I figured must be a professional tone. Before the change, overpopulation was a threat to the survival of the human species. In a single generation, the global population had mushroomed to untenable proportions, and such continued growth was not sustainable. In a decade, there wouldn't be enough food or fresh water for all inhabitants. Throughout history, nature had always managed to make readjustments to offset a threat to the planet's harmonious balance. In modern times, this was no longer the case. Readjustments? Such as with earthquakes and tsunamis, nature's lethal multi-continent double-edged sword. Rain perpetuated floods. Lightning ignited forest fires that turned millions of forest acres to ashes. All natural but ultimately futile attempts by the planet to shake off the burgeoning parasites of the 21st century. By parasites, I think he meant human beings. Do-gooders had come up with solutions to reduce human fatalities. Earthquake-proof structures, dikes and dams and reefs, forest management, fire-retardant building materials, a myriad of ways to circumvent the destructive force of nature, fewer casualties. I found myself confused. That's a good thing, though, right? If you believe the innovations of the few should benefit the masses, that slaves should sup at the table of their masters... His face twisted into a sneer. I had to force myself not to reel back in repugnance. War was not a viable solution, he continued. The casualty count is too low. I felt my cheeks burn with stunned indignation. I had read dozens of books on the battles of the First World War, of the muddy trenches and the horrors. Da, 16 million people died in World War I alone. 16 million. A shrug at that drop in the bucket to what nature can accomplish when riled. The influenza epidemic of 1918 killed nearly four times the number of soldiers who died on the battlefield in the four previous years. The flu wiped out 50 million souls like that. He snapped his fingers. I found the gesture obscene. Nature didn't kill them. Semantics, boy. A virus did. There was a time when the leading cause of death in humans was sepsis. Men succumbed to the wounds they'd received in warfare. Women perished in the aftermath of childbirth. Nature kept the population in balance. But then humanitarian obsessions collided with modern medicine. Deformed or sickly babies that should have died at birth grew to adulthood. In the modern age, because of medical intervention, the weak kept on living and breeding. The sneer was back. But then his bony face erupted in a sly smile as he continued, not from amusement, from dredging up a favored historical reference among his recollections. Nature had never given up, of course. Natural solutions to overpopulation and environmental overload began to spike in the Middle Ages. Plagues, pandemics. When the Black Death swept across Europe in the late 14th century, fully one-third of the population perished, extinguished in a matter of months. In London in the 1600s, one in five inhabitants died of plague, the rampant rise of viral hemorrhagic fevers and autoimmune deficiency diseases in the late 20th and early 21st centuries was another attempt by Mother Nature to course correct. His Navajo blanket slipped off his shoulders. I could smell a sourness wafting from him. But nothing natural could succeed on the scale required. Not if the planet was to survive. I couldn't suppress a sarcastic retort. You're trying to claim that you were some sort of nihilist environmentalist? No. I was a member of the Godhead. I felt a cold finger of fear press on the base of my spinal column. The Godhead? 
What the hell? I sputtered. What did you do, Da? What did you do? He didn't answer me. It was then I realized this wasn't a conversation. Not at all. He didn't want to hear my opinion. Nor did he want to answer my questions. This wasn't a confession either, since I never detected the faintest hint of remorse. A speech, maybe. No. A boastful self-eulogy dense with prideful self-justification. I was his witness. As he spoke, his seldom-used voice grew hoarse, the hot light of a fanatic burning in his eyes. I'd never seen this version of the man emerge before. Not once in all the previous years I'd lived by his side. It was as if the evil within him, like a pathogenic virus long dormant, was finally coming into view beneath the dark surface of a now-melting permafrost. I sat stiffly, choking on my dismay as he waxed on with undisguised admiration of the theory behind such things as enhanced radiation weapons, like the neutron bomb, a low-yield thermonuclear weapon created to maximize lethal neutron radiation in the immediate vicinity of a blast while minimizing the physical power of the blast itself. You see, those nuclear scientists were onto something, boy. It's one thing to exterminate the occupying population, but quite another to demolish the existing infrastructure. Buildings are better repurposed than destroyed. I had to bite down hard on the side of my tongue to keep from interjecting. The real problem is the long-term after-effects of radiation. For example, because of a nuclear accident at a power plant in Chernobyl, the area won't be safe for human habitation for 20,000 years. On a planet which is 71% water, buildable and arable land is finite. Creating radiation-saturated zones of alienation is not feasible in the short term. He went on and on like that for a long time. Bottom line? What the military-slash-government wanted was a way to target specific populations without damaging infrastructure, rendering buildings unusable or contaminating approved populations. A solution with a half-life that didn't spread beyond a single generation so that the architects of the plan could themselves observe the result and reap the benefits. A focused, strategic attack. Like using a scalpel to remove a tumor while leaving the healthy tissue intact. A bioweapon. Da had been a scientist. A molecular geneticist. He specialized in accelerated cellular mutation. Within five years, he discovered a way to prompt cellular mutation in living tissue to achieve a fundamental manipulation of human genes, which resulted in the permanent alteration in the DNA sequence. A mutation that didn't kill the host, but altered it significantly. Blindingly rapid mutation. Not physiological or physical changes that occurred over epochs or generations or years, but within hours. He'd been a scientific mixologist of sorts. A genetic bartender. Mixing, refining, taste testing. He was unapologetic. Yes, the advancement of his research had required extended experimentation on living subjects. After all, his research was government-sanctioned. Research subjects had been duly provided. Death row inmates had been given the choice of waiting in a sterile cell for their state-sanctioned deaths, or of redeeming themselves as patriots. Many had chosen the latter. So had lifers, and the terminally ill, and the chronically depressed, the homeless, runaways, addicts, the unemployed. I wondered if these volunteers had understood the fine print on the release they'd all signed before they'd been whisked away in a black van never to be seen or heard from again. Hello friend, this is Neil Helligers, host of Adrenaline Realms Thriller Channel, and I'm here to talk to you a little bit more about the Greenlight app. And this message is of course sponsored by Greenlight, but I was using, our family was using the Greenlight app uh, even before the first ad in a wonderful 
thrilling cosmic coincidence, right? See what I did there? So again, to catch you up, Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. Basically, the way it works is that parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving, and you can see exactly how much money they have in their account, and there's different ways to give them money. What we've been doing is on a, like a weekly allowance, a certain amount that goes into his account every week. So in order to further the conversation about money and about earning, uh, we're using Greenlight as a kind of a foundation for that conversation. Uh, in other words, instead of just the allowance he gets for certain base things that he's expected to do around the house, uh, we are also adding the chore feature, which is certain one-time payments for certain one-time jobs. For example, in our house, we're trying to encourage our son to start walking the dog more. He's old enough for it, he's responsible enough for it, and he's done it enough that he knows what to do. So he can really see that for all those extra times that he steps up and does the dog walk, he gets rewarded for that job well done. And this is the conversation. In life, when you work a little extra harder, you get a little extra compensation, and you can either save that up or spend it how you like. And we're not alone in this. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's a very easy and very convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and for families to navigate life together. So sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash adrenaline. That's greenlight.com slash adrenaline to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash adrenaline slash 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 slash. So thrilling, right? Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this, talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. Da had created a virulent concoction of some of his favorite viruses, toxins, and bacteria, along with rapid-growth hybrid cancer cells. A dash of Lisa, or rabies, the virus that forces itself into the brain and turns the central nervous system against itself, for the foaming-at-the-mouth specter of madness. A drop of Mycobacterium leprae, the bacteria that causes leprosy, to target the skin and the spinal cord, effectively causing the host to shed its external cartilage, like noses and ears and develop a plaque-like epidermal layer that could easily be mistaken for an exoskeleton. He also handpicked symptoms from a myriad of rare and virulent diseases that affected species other than man, and adapted them to bond with human DNA. Not lethal, but catastrophically altering at the cellular level, affecting only grade ape-level primates, from chimpanzees, gorillas, bonobos, orangutans to mankind, and no other species. He managed to disrupt these organisms at a metabolic level too, corrupting their mammalian metabolisms so that an endotherm resembled an ectotherm, and that it relied on the heat from the sun, or some other artificial light source, to survive. Bottom line, he'd succeeded in prompting rapid cellular mutation that didn't kill outright, but metamorphosed a human being into a hairless, sexless, rabid, and slavering, mad, alien-looking creature with 48 hours of exposure to his superbio cocktail. Daw was Dr. Frankenstein, funded by the U.S. military and the Department of Homeland Security. Da had been the architect of the change. Da had created the outliers. Da believed he'd been working to save the planet. He still did. But it didn't end there. The master plan was deceptively simple, he bragged. Devise a first contact delivery system in a simple aerosol spray. 
Once released in a relatively small public area, nature would take over. The initial exposed population would infect the larger population through close contact. Nasal secretions, sweat, saliva, blood. The number of infected would rise astronomically in a period of hours. As the epidemic blossomed, the military would be mustered. Martial law would be declared. Shoot to kill would be the order. No, Dodd did not create a bioweapon that would deplete a population. He'd created an excuse for territorial-approved genocide. No declarations of war. No retaliation. Simply sovereign countries calling their own infected herds out of necessity to reduce overpopulation. For the sake of their nations. For the sake of the planet. In Dawes' mind, this made him a savior. The target? Hot and humid regions with dense and impoverished populations. Equatorial Africa and Central and South America. Southern Asia. Those populations with darker skins. The ruling class would not be affected. Though there was no antidote to this biological Armageddon, the oligarchs, the princes, the wealthy, and the power-wielding elite had the means to avoid infection. Da was most proud of the fail-safe he'd created within a bioweapon itself. An outbreak wasn't perpetual. The contagion period of an altered organism was short-lived, about 20 days, 30 at most. After that, the mutants could not pass on their affliction. Though, of course, they still needed to be put down by either the military or security forces. No soldier would have a problem gunning down virulent creatures that barely resembled humans. Da's pride bordered on gleeful. A biological solution on par with the neutron bomb. You see, boy? I found a way to keep the infrastructure from becoming uninhabitable. The meek wouldn't inherit the earth. The wealthy and politically powerful would. Not only that, he'd given the mutation metamorphosis a finite afterlife. Not 20,000 years like the toxic environs of Chernobyl. The mutations only lasted about 15 or 20 years, give or take. Then those mutants who managed to survive would slowly revert to what they had been before the change. Their mutation would wear off like dye after repeated washings. If there were any left alive, that is. Dodd traced three letters in his calloused palm. V-T-B. That was the name of the government-sanctioned research lab he'd headed, he told me. VTB Laboratories. Da had chosen the name himself. Random letters he'd told the higher-ups. But they weren't. VTB stood for virus, toxin, bacteria. Da's little inside joke. The plan, as Da and his colleagues had envisioned, was never instigated. Their bioweapon, what Da affectionately called the solution, had never been selectively deployed in the target areas. Instead, a group of radical environmental activists had launched a coordinated attack on Dawes' research facility and had caused the equivalent of a nuclear meltdown. Explosions, fires. The labs had been destroyed, during which time a significant dose of the bioweapon was released into the surrounding environment. The activists had been exposed. So had the scientists, the facilities management, the support staff, the groundskeepers, the military personnel, and the private security force and the local inhabitants. Rapid disbursement ensued. As intended, the infected mutated, and infected others. The biocataclysm occurred not at the equator, but in a remote black site research facility near the Canadian border, which quickly spread through the surrounding countryside. Da had somehow survived the explosion. He'd been injured, but not seriously. He'd picked himself up from the rubble and stumbled into the woods. He remembers looking back to see surviving co-workers inadvertently breathing in the released aerosol fumes then bending over in agony as the cells in their bodies rapidly mutated. He had staggered through the snow, 
a handkerchief wrapped around his mouth and nose as a crew prophylactic. The newly mutated creatures were lethargic in the cold, as he'd intended. They were purposely created to be robust in the hot zones, where overpopulation was at its zenith. He prayed he had the strength to outrun them. By sheer willpower, he somehow made it the eight miles cross-country to his home, but he was too late. The initial infection had spread with the lightning speed he'd intended. When he reached his house, his entire family had already mutated. Not even the creator of the plague could save them. He shot them all with his shotgun. His wife, his three daughters, his sons-in-law, the housekeeper and nanny, and lastly, his grandchildren. One by one. Mercy killing. He knew the military would shoot them anyway. He burned his own house to the ground, a funeral pyre for those he'd loved. After that, he didn't care if he lived or died. He wandered in a daze through the snow, vaguely heading north. Behind him, sirens blaring. Sporadic gunfire in the woods. The viral outbreak spread rapidly, as he'd intended. There was no stopping it. He came upon abandoned vehicles on the feeder roads and along the highway. Doors flung open when the passengers fled on foot. A car radio had been left blaring. You'd hear the voice of the governor ordering an evacuation of all counties adjacent to the outbreak. Buses filled up with fleeing locals. But it only took one infected passenger to turn a busload of people into mutants. He should know. It had been his brainchild. Da owed his survival to the fact that he didn't seek help. Or shelter. He had expected to stumble through the snow until he froze to death. But then he came upon a car wreck in a remote highway untouched by a snowplow. The young man behind the wheel was dead his chest crushed by the steering column. So was the young woman lying in the snow a dozen feet away. She'd been ejected through the windshield, nearly decapitated by broken glass. Neither had been wearing seatbelts. In the back seat, secured in a car seat, was a child, halfway between an infant and a toddler, mewling in fear or from the cold. A boy. Me. God took pity on the orphan child. He plucked me from the car seat and headed north, carrying me on his back, swaddled in a blanket and a knapsack, away from ground zero of the outbreak, to where we are now. He then told me my origin story one final time, of the hardship, of the formidable, bone-chilling terrain that we'd traversed to get to our home. I no longer found it comforting or thrilling. My origin story and the origin story of the outliers are one and the same. So as discussed, of course, Adrenaline is Realm's thriller channel, and we've been exploring what makes a thriller. Um, though with the story that we just heard, I feel that we have found ourselves in a um, somewhat adjacent genre of what are usually called zombies, right? Even though in this case, we're talking outliers. And I'm a huge fan of that genre, the zombie genre, whether it be Romero Zombies or 28 Days Later or The Passage Trilogy by Justin Cronin, if you're familiar. And in all of those, the commonality is that whatever causes the zombies or outliers or whatever you want to call them, the revenants to occur, is a result of the extreme hubris of humanity. Or in this case, Da, um, because he's the one who developed this bioweapon only to have it literally blow up in their faces. And in outliers terms, tough for boy, right? Um, when you find out that the person who you've come to rely upon for everything in your entire life is the same person who is responsible for killing millions of people and having you be stuck in a frozen wasteland. Um, this is going to be an interesting parenting moment between Da and Boy. Uh, I guess we're going to find out how that goes in episode six of Outliers coming at you very soon. I'm your host, Neil Helligers, and I will see you there. Take care.
You're listening to Adrenaline Outliers, narrated by Rory Culkin. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But Wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to Season 1, we are thrilled to announce the launch of Season 2. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make Season 2 even more memorable together. Outliers is executive produced by Dave Beasley and narrated by Rory Culkin. Created by Cassandra Wells and Dave Beasley. Based on the novella Outliers by Cassandra Wells. Produced for Realm by Alexis Latshaw and Haley Wagreich. Additional sound design and editing by Rory O'Shea. Cover art by Kendall Thomas and Michał Krasnopolski. Adrenaline is produced by Mary Osadolahi and Kaylin West. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Latshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Neil Helligers. Audio editing by Angela Yee. Original theme by Marcus Begala. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Adrenaline by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.